Well, welcome into the podcast. My name is Eric Saar. This is the Solar Insights Podcast. And I got Jesse on here, Jesse Blancart of uh, Basketball Insiders. How are you doing, Jesse? I'm doing well. How are you, Eric? I'm doing great. We got so we got the trade deadline passed. We got playoffs starting to come up. And it's the we're getting some great basketball. It's some great basketball tonight. Um, so basically, I want to start out with um, we're going to look at some trades that happened in the trade deadline and see and spin them forward to see if they impact the playoff seeding, if they or or even who gets into the playoffs. We'll start out with the Suns since this is the Solar Insights podcast. What did you think initially of the PJ Tucker to uh, Toronto trade for two seconds and Jared Sullinger? Well, I know that this is a Phoenix-oriented podcast, so I, I'm not sure that you and your listeners are going to love the fact that I, I thought this was a, a really great deal for Toronto. Um, to get P.J. Tucker, one, a very versatile defender, for two second-round picks, uh, I thought I thought made a lot of sense for Toronto. And for Phoenix, I, I, I like that they're um, giving Tucker the chance to move on to, to compete in the playoffs and uh, build off of what he's done in Phoenix, which, you know, they gave him the opportunity to come back to the NBA after being over for a year. So I, I just, I think it made sense for both sides. Yeah, so just to give some context, um, Tor- I mean, Tucker, yeah, he was, he was actually um, drafted by Toronto in 2006, I believe, and was overseas, was in the German League, Israeli League, I think, and just all over the place and came back for the Suns five years. Uh, if you've seen him, he has improved every year he's been in the league. I mean, you. When he came in the league the first time, it was only hustle, and then the next, yeah. then it was defense, and then I mean, he could not hit corner threes, and now it's he's automatic from the corners. And this year, that's it's been a little bit of a on the ground game. He's able to ISO a little bit, even though I cringe when he ISOs at all. Um, but he can hit the from the the top of the arc now, and so I'm really happy for him to be able to showcase his skills because I've seen him just be such a Amazing defender. He's obviously gone under the radar for so many, so many years. Really, I mean, I say I'd say he's maybe he's top ten defender in the league, but no one. I feel I don't know if that anybody would say that. That wasn't a hadn't seen well, him on the Suns. Mark Rosen, he's, he's like top three defender in the league based on what he says. But I mean, that's that's based on who guards him specifically. But I, I think that's high praise. I mean, he, he. I mean, game. I think earlier this season he locked down Carmelo Anthony. Um, Anthony Davis and Harden three games in a row, something like that. Where he, I mean, he, you see him isoed on somebody, and he just takes the ball from a superstar who gets paid about what is it, fifteen times more than he does. Um, yeah. well, so it's amazing. That, I mean, yeah, he can do it to those guys. But then I, you know, I, I watch the Clippers closely, and he's he's bodied up Blake Griffin. I'm, I'm not sure you're gonna say he's necessarily stopped Blake Griffin, but he, you know, he gets under his skin. He puts. He puts a body on him, and they play. They've done that a few times, and just that's the kind of versatility you get with Tucker. I mean, he's he's not the tallest guy. He's he's just really strong. He's got quick feet, and he's he's a smart defender. So I, I really like him for Toronto. I think he's just exactly what they needed. Yeah, he understands positioning, and I think I say this. I feel like I say this on every podcast, but I'm like six seven, and I was up next to standing next to him one time, and he's listed at six four, and he's probably like six two, but I mean, it's it's crazy. But I was looking at it, like his shoulder, his definition, and his ability to really be strong. It's like his his shoulders as big as my head, and he's yeah. just so strong. He's able to just. I mean, he takes. I think I saw one time this year where him slash Jared Dudley was the center, and everybody else was smaller than them. And yeah. it was kind of. I mean, that's a that's a super small ball lineup because I remember back when Jared Dudley's first stint with the Suns, he was the two guard. 
and now he's playing four slash five. Um, so it's kind of amazing. But back to Tucker, it's I'm really happy for him. One thing I noticed, I don't know if anybody nationally knows this. I think from my viewpoint, Tucker, in the whole time I've been covering the Suns and covering uh, the NBA, he is probably the most reluctant person I've ever seen leave a lottery team. He loved it here. Yeah, his, his um, commitment to the Phoenix Suns was, um, it, it looked like genuine. It looked like he really did not have any interest in moving on. Um, you know, the report being Devin Booker was telling him, you know, you're, you're, I told you you're going to stay just a few minutes before he was told that he wasn't back going to go. I mean, you could tell from his, his interviews that he's really grateful to, for his time with the Suns, the opportunity that he's had there, that he's built solid roots in that community. So I, I genuinely believe that he had no desire to push a, a trade through or to compete for a championship or go to another roster like so many guys in the NBA do. But I, I do also think that it's a guy like him who, you know, he's playing for a new contract and, and he hasn't really explored free agency too much. I think it makes sense for him to try to get himself out there to, to show what he can do on a, on a bigger stage. And I, I just really like the fit Toronto. I think he, he brings so much of what they need. Yeah, I mean, def- I totally agree. I mean, he's going to be a free agent this 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 year. And while I, I give a Toronto a huge uh, advantage to resign him, he could come back to the Suns. But I think once he hits playoff fever and gets that chance that he hasn't really had before, other than overseas when he was one of the elite elite players over there um it's it's going to be it's going to be hard it's going to be infectious it's going to be it's going to get to him where he's like I can have this playoff atmosphere and be a contributor to a playoff team that goes deep in the east that's something he probably values and will even take less money but which is big for him i mean he's on a be a bit i believe 5 million a year um so so it's going to be he's going to get a big contract <laughs> yeah he should and yeah, I actually, I think he, it's possible he could go back to Phoenix. You never know. Once once you get into the market, things can, can go crazy, and you know you, you can say you're going to do one thing and something else happens. And but I really, I really think that he would like the opportunity to go back to Phoenix. I just think he really appreciated the opportunity that they gave him, and he's been a fit. You know, he's been a real contributor there. So we'll see what happens. But I, I think it made sense for both sides. I'm not sure what Phoenix ends up doing with those picks. What you know, second rounders. You never really know what, what's going to come of it, but. Yeah. Every every shot at another player is another shot to get a guy like Manny Ginobili in the second round. So maybe something comes of it. Or Isaiah Thomas with the 60th pick. Or, I mean, this year Brogdon may win, with Embiid out, Brogdon in Milwaukee may win Rookie of the Year. I mean, yeah, Brogdon's great. I can't, I can't believe he, he slipped that far. I, I'm not saying I predicted that he'd be, like, the best, you know, second or third best rookie this year, but I, I was surprised that he was able to, he slipped as far as he did. Yeah, I mean, with Simmons and B, well, and B, I didn't, when I did pre, uh, pre-season stuff for Rookie of the Year, I didn't count Embiid, because he, like, to me, he doesn't really count, I mean, I guess technically he's a rookie this year, but he was drafted, like, two years ago. Like, I think, I think when you're drafted should be when you get, can be Rookie of the Year, and if you can't play, then that's not on you, but you shouldn't get to be, like, have years of playing and becoming stronger and better and then get to play your first technical year. Like, I think Sarge is the same thing. Like, I don't know if Sarge can, should be allowed to be rookie of the year because he, he got drafted not this year. So, I don't know, that's my little selfish philosophy about how rookie of the year should work. But As long as, as, long as you don't play in 
in the season, in your rookie year, and, and the first year you play, that's when you're a rookie. I mean, that's the rule. So yeah, exactly. Isn't that what happened with Blake Griffin in '05? Listen to his camp about about what you want, because I think someone sported it out there that um, shutting it down may may have something to do with his uh, shoe contract and uh, the incentives built into uh, winning rookie of the year, which obviously the you know coming back and playing 15 games or whatever it might be this season wouldn't help him with that. Mm. I'm not saying that's what's going on there, but you know, that's that's something to think about. Didn't Blake Griffin do that in like oh five, I believe? He didn't get to play his rookie year and then he uh, actually he came out like I think it was oh seven, oh eight and yeah. uh he yeah, he hurt his knee before he ever stepped onto an NBA floor for a regular season game, so it was his rookie season was the year after he was drafted. Yeah, the year after. And then the, unfortunately Randall had the opposite problem where he played two quarters yeah. against the Suns as the Lakers and then broke his leg. Yep, that's that's absolutely true. For him. So well anyway, let's keep let's keep it rolling with the um, Toronto Raptors because we'll uh, just transition there. They also added Ibaka and they have a pretty fearsome defensive lineup. Not so much DeRozan but Lowry. I mean, they got Lowry, they got Ibaka, Patterson, um what do you think of Valanciunas as a defender? I mean they got Tucker there. What do you I mean they have a defensive lineup now. Tucker can guard LeBron. Um, Ibaka could probably guard LeBron if maybe not quite fast enough, but uh, they have some defensive capabilities to go deep in the playoffs. What do you think about them now? Well, that, and that's the thing about them was that their offense was hitting on all cylinders. It was their defense that really wasn't up to a contender, what you would expect from a contender, a contending team. So um, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of still figuring out what I think about their roster because. Valanciunas is undoubtedly a, a very talented center, but he's one of those lumbering, kind of bigger, back-to-the-basket, mm-hmm. uh, you know, old-school type of throwback centers. He's not going to fly out of uh, the weak side and block uh, someone driving to the rim, or he's not one of those guys like a DeAndre Jordan or Hassan Whiteside who sets a pick and then mm-hmm. dives to the rim and, and is a huge lob threat. He's not talented. Now, there's value to his game, but <clears throat> I, I think... What, what intrigues me about the Raptors lineup now is, and I, and they've already gone to it in crunch time situations, is the lineup with, right now, Corey Joseph, but ideally Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, P.J. Tucker, um, Ibaka, and I'm totally forgetting someone right now. Probably Carroll, right? Uh, I'm sorry, oh, Damari Carroll. Yeah, Demari. It's probably Damari Carroll, because that's, I mean, that's a defensive lineup right there. I mean, and, and that's the thing. You have the versatility to switch between guys like Carroll and Tucker who can check fours, fives, threes, sometimes even twos. You've got um, Ibaka who can, can protect the rim. And uh, I'm not saying Valentinus is incapable of playing in a, a lineup like that, but mm-hmm. I think Ibaka as a small ball five and Tucker and Carroll kind of uh, as an interchangeable forwards, I think is a lineup that really can be tough to score on in late-game situations and can spread the court on the other end um, and kind of open up the driving lane for Lowry to, to attack with a block as a role man. So yeah, I, can I think see, there's a versatility in that new lineup. Yeah, I mean, that has that has enough space. That lineup has enough spacing to really do what they want because Ibaka can shoot it. Tucker's got the corners on lockdown. Um, and Carroll can, is, pretty, is a decent playmaker for someone who's really known as more of a defensive player. But, uh, I mean, then you can throw DeRozan on whoever is their worst their worst uh, offensive player, and you don't have to worry about him wasting energy yeah. over there. Exactly. And, and DeRozan hasn't been a particularly good defensive player so far this season or really throughout his career. So you definitely want to put him on someone who's going to be less of a threat because 
I mean, every, even with like Corey Joseph, Corey Joseph's a good defender. Everyone on that lineup can defend, mm-hmm. and having four or five guys at that level is pretty good, and especially when you consider what they can do on the offensive end. Yeah, for sure. Some that you just reminded bad defensive. Did you see that um that that video of a uh, uh, Okafor playing defense or basically sleepwalking I, I around watched, the paint? I watched that thing like fifteen times in a row to release to, to really see how bad that effort was. I mean, that was pitiful. That for, was horrible. Yeah, for those who don't know, basically go look up Okafor, Joel, Joel Okafor, who's a very talented big man and is a good offensive uh, in the post. But he basically spun around like he's I don't know. He just, like, walked around some players, like, putting his hand up for a second, but he's, like, 10 feet away from whoever has the ball. And, like, it was really bad effort, it was, timing, it was, anything. James James Harden would cringe watching that video. I mean, that yeah. was – he I, – I don't even know what to say about that. He just looked, he looked gassed or so disinterested, one or the other. And maybe, you know, maybe I wouldn't want to play that hard, too, if, my, if I knew a team that I was playing for kept trying to trade me over and over and over. But still – just that was horrible. But you got a pride for like playing for your next team and contract and auditioning. I don't know. I mean, because I mean, I think he's good. But like I was talking with somebody a couple weeks ago on the podcast, like he's like the seventh best player from that draft that he was supposed to go number one in before, like a year before the draft. He's supposed to go without no undisputed number one, and he may be the seventh best player from that very good draft a couple years ago. And the thing is, it's not like he lost the skill that everyone was so enamored with early mm-hmm. on. It's just the league has really changed quickly. Yeah, um, it was even just a few seasons ago that you know big guys like him really were valuable. They were really some you know a difference maker. Al Jefferson in the playoffs like two seasons ago when he, he got hurt, maybe it was three seasons ago. That was like the the deciding factor in a, in a series. Um, he had a foot injury, but yeah, now it's on a broken foot. people want centers or teams want centers with a big man who's going to set a big pick, roll to the basket, and become a lob threat so that there's more spacing uh, for the shooters on the on the three point line. So vertical gravity, right side, Nerlens Noel, um, guys who can really do that. I think they don't have any, like half of the skill in the post that a guy like Okafor has, but their skill set is just perfectly tailored to the way offenses are trying to operate now. I mean, it's Towns and Porzingis. If you have someone like Towns or Porzingis. You can be successful because they have the versatility to to switch on defense to really because I mean people run the pick and roll more than anything else it seems like uh, and over and over and over again they obviously the Warriors do a lot more screening I mean they do pick and roll a little bit but uh, I mean pick and roll if you can defend the pick and roll you can shoot the three and you can play make and pass as a big man I mean Jokic right there Jokic can pass I did have a triple double tonight and uh, you I mean it's really important for the big men in the league to be that versatile. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's... And I love Jokic's game. I mean, him him and Nurkic, um, those are two guys who were playing side-by-side, and you could just see, you know, they're both very talented players, but you can see how one skill set is just perfectly tailored to what offenses are trying to do these days, and the other one is a little bit more old-school, a little more limited, and that's the difference between having a franchise center and a guy who honestly can be moved for a first-round pick or whatever it might, might yeah. end up being. So uh, it's just it's crazy how quickly the, the big man position has changed and what the skill set that you need has changed. But um, I, yeah, I, I, there's just an oversaturation of, of big men like that now, and I think that's why we saw Okafor really not have any kind of market mm-hmm. in this I mean, last set. I mean, you were talking about Jokic in, um, in, in, the, in the Rising Stars game. He was basically the best passer on his team. 
I think it was all these shooters and Booker and whoever, everybody else. So he must have been on Team USA, I believe. Was he? I feel like he's foreign. Booker, but, yeah, I think he was Team USA. Yeah, but, but Jokic was on Team World, probably. Yeah, 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 I think he was on Team World. Yeah, so, but he was like the best passer on his team as like one of the tallest guys, the biggest guys. But he was just, he's still spectacular. Well, let's um, spin it forward here to, let's go the, the the dreaded eighth seed in the West. Basically, those those all those teams vying for a chance to get blown out by the Warriors, uh, if Kevin Durant's back by then. Um, still, I mean, they'll probably lose, but if Kevin Durant's back, they're getting swept 20 points the whole time. Um, so, I mean, we've got... Obviously, the big one is the Pelicans getting DeMarcus Cousins for, and somehow not giving up Drew Holiday, which is just incredible, um, to go pair with Anthony Davis. We've got the Mavericks getting Noel from the 76ers for uh, Justin Anderson and Filler. Uh, and then also, I mean, this isn't less of a deal, but the Nuggets getting Hibbert and the... Uh, and, and the Nuggets tra- trading Nurkic to the Trailblazers. What do you? Th- I mean, obviously, there's different levels of impact there, but how do you see that uh, working out, playing itself out for the eighth seed with all these changes? Uh, there's a lot to, to go with there. Uh, what team you want to talk about first? Because there's there's a lot a lot to talk about. Yeah, I, just, I guess uh, talk about who do you, who do you think is going to get the eighth seed first? Let's see. What's the updated standings? I haven't, I haven't checked. I got it right here. Um, Nuggets are in the eighth seed right now at twenty-eight and thirty-three. Um, couple, several, uh, three game, two games back in the last column is the Kings, um, tied with the Trailblazers, and then one more game back in the last column is the Timberwolves, and the Mavericks, and then one game back of that is the Pelicans. So they're all within three. The Nuggets have a lead right now, but they're basically with all of them in five, five games or so. Uh-huh. Well, I I am guilty of, for about 45 minutes to an hour, thinking, oh, man, that Cousins-Davis deal. I mean, the Nuggets, is, it's going to be the Nuggets and the Warriors in the first round now. But, I mean, when the you Pelicans think about the Warriors? It, it, it makes sense that that kind of pairing takes a little bit of time to, to create chemistry and to, you know, start knocking down teams, um, you know, uh, night by night, so that three-game losing streak that they went on has really dropped them in the standings, and they've got time to make it up, but it's not clear that any of these teams are going to make it easy for them, so as good as DeMarcus is and as amazing as a tandem as I think Davis and Cousins can be eventually, I think I think their uh, chances at the playoffs are slipping pretty quickly at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been of the mind, mostly because of how talented they're top several players are is I think the Trailblazers have the best shot, but it's sort of seeming like the Nuggets have the inside track. Uh, I guess my I think my picks a couple months ago was the was the Trailblazers when we saw the big drop off from the top seven in the West to that eighth and further down. But uh well, my, yeah. Well I my think, thing with the, the Blazers is they they're like three I think they're like three and seven in their last ten games or something like that. They've been they've been really inconsistent, especially lately, haven't they? Yeah, I mean they have. I mean, let me see, I think it's right here. Uh, yeah, they are th- they are three and seven in their last uh, ten games, and that's uh, exactly they're not they're not playing well. I just it just seems improbable. It's more of it. I'm surprised that that they're the, as bad as they are with how much talent they have at the top there. But of course, it's not a single singular game, it's a team game, 
And when yeah. if you are a sieve on defense, you're going to have issues when your best two players can't play amazing defense. McCollum well, and Lillard are not great. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I mean, maybe it's a discussion for another podcast, but that brings up the question of how far can you really go when your point guard and shooting guard are by far your two best players. I mean, the Wizards are, are having a lot of success with Wall and Beal, but aside from that and Steph and Clay, you don't really see many teams winning on the strength of their point guard shooting guard tandem. It's usually one big and one point guard usually. So, well, welcome to the Phoenix Suns, where their best two yeah. players by a thousand percent are their shooting guard and their point guard. Anyway, um, yeah. yeah. So, what do you think about the Noel addition to Dallas? Is that going to help him? I guess I think he had that game-saving steal and dunk earlier a couple of games ago. But do you think that really gets him over the hump? Do they think that they give Dirk one more shot at the actually the reverse? We believe Warriors Nuggets or Warriors Dallas. Which, which works even better. Which works even better now that Matt Barnes is back in Golden State. Right. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. I mean, I, I don't. I wouldn't give the Mavericks much of a chance in that series because I just don't think they're well equipped to. I mean, I could be wrong about that, but I just don't think they have the best personnel to take on Golden State. But yeah. anytime you have Rick Carlisle who can, with time to game plan um, for another team over and over and over, I think you have a shot. So who knows? But I, I, I love the addition of Noel for the Mavericks. Um, Carlisle has been one of the best coaches in terms of creating an offense where a uh, big man like Noel, like Tyson Chandler, like they had envisioned for DeAndre Jordan when they were about to sign him, they they used Dirk and the, and the big rolling center to you know set two screens and have Dirk pop out to the three-point line and mm-hmm. the, the center yeah. dive to the rim for an aggressive uh, opportunity at a, at a lob. And it just opens things up in a way where you don't really see a lot of teams operate that efficiently. So I think Noel has already shown that he can fill that role well. I think he's only going to get better in it. And, yeah, I think I think that um, – I don't, I don't know that they're going to take the AC. I think they've got a little bit of a way to go in terms of overcoming guys, uh, teams like Minnesota, yeah. Portland, and I think Sacramento even. So yeah. it's not a given, but I really think Noel's going to fit well in there, and I think his value is going to go up as Carlisle maximizes his skill set. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it's. I mean, if they got there, does Dirk have enough to get him over the hump? I mean, probably not. But it's certainly uh, they're they're Mark Cuban and and their GM and uh, Don Nelson are really they do what they can, although they don't really build the draft very well because they just traded Justin Anderson. I was thought was like their best pick in a while. Um, I, I mean, they always go for win now to keep Dirk to really to its legacy for Dirk. It's it's we're honoring you by trying to put the best team around you, so you don't have to leave, and so that you can try to win as many games as you can before you go. Um, what about? I mean, the Kings are going to falter, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I mean, are you are you not a believer in the? And Willie Cauley Stein and his twenty-nine point performance. And <laughs> else I believe in Kings, all caps K A N Z A. Oh man, this is, this is the new Kings. It's a new era. Haven't you? Haven't you seen their amazing performance so far? Yeah, yeah. Because small sample sizes don't exist at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, th- I mean, I think that the Nuggets are probably have the inside track. Timberwolves seem to. It's weird. People were lauding them as uh, just a, such a good automatic playoff team. They have all this talent, but like I've always been saying, you need veterans to teach them how to win. You need people. People are going to make rookie, sophomore, third-year mistakes. They're going to make mistakes in crucial situations, and they won't have the consistency to get you to the playoffs. 
Um, so even though they have, I mean, Levine got injured, so that's that's going to happen. But Wiggins and Towns are so explosive and so dynamic, but it, it can't be just them. I mean, Rubio does what he can, but they just don't have really what it takes to get over the hump until they add some key veterans and spots they need. I, I think I think you said it well there. I, they have talent. There's no doubt about that. It's it's the consistency issue. Guys that young aren't. It's not typical for guys that young to bring it every night to bring the same consistent effort to execute um, at, at a top level. Especially when you got a coach like uh, Thibodeau in there for the first time and trying to trying to mold the team and try to get them to learn on the fly. This isn't his veteran Chicago team that had guys who have been in the league for ten years plus. Who, who know how to kind of put things together kind of quickly. So uh, I was skeptical of the idea that they were going to be this amazing team coming into the season just because I don't think a, a roster that young, you can count on them to, to do that, even if they have transcendent talent like Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. So I'm not surprised, but I, I do think that they can mix it up. They've been oddly playing uh, particularly well with uh, Wiggins and uh, Carl Anthony Towns on the floor without Levine. Uh, David Locke on Twitter put out a, a tweet about it, and... The numbers speak for themselves. I'm not saying that Levine's a bad player by any means. I just think that it's interesting that based on um, the on-court numbers that they're, they've been playing better, and I think they're 5-5 five and five or something along those lines in the last 10 games. So if someone else slips and they keep it up, maybe they, they chip away and, and get closer to that 8 seed. Yeah, they are 5-5. Five and five. I've been weirdly an anti-Levine guy since he was drafted. I don't know why. I was definitely anti-Shabazz Muhammad. I was so happy when he did not come to the Suns. I think they were in this area for him. Um, uh, I, I, I like Levine. I think that anyone who thinks he's a point guard has um, oh, isn't watching closely enough. Yeah, that's, that's just not, not who he is. He, he can handle the ball. It doesn't mean he's a point guard. Yep. Uh, it's much better when he's when he's off the ball in a shooting guard position. So he's his game has come a long way. And the fact that he's such a good shooter and such an explosive athlete, I think, bodes well for him. And I hope... I hope he makes a full, quick recovery. So Yeah, I hope he doesn't um, lose explosivness, too, for just kind of because people, when they get injured, those legs, they lose some of the explosiveness. Um, but we still, yeah. we still guys recover pretty well these days, so I'm hoping the same thing happens for him. I agree. And I'm, well soon. Yeah, I'm coming around on his game. We'll, we'll see what happens with them. I just am really, really, really curious to see who they add like in the off season because they're going for it. They have their core. They're go, they got to go for it. Who is they going to, are they going to bring around? Can Thibodeau, as the GM slash coach, make it happen? Because I don't think we've seen he's proven to be a GM as yet. Um, so it's going to be curious to see who he brings and how that is affected. To roll it, that's a, yeah, that's sorry. interesting. He could he could throw a ton of money at a guy like George Hill if he wanted to. But don't they want Chris Dunn to be their point guard of the future? Have you watched Chris Dunn play this season? Not very much, and I so so I mean. You think you think he's he's not gonna? I mean, do you think uh, he's not gonna stick? I, I think he I think he's gonna be good eventually. I just don't think at his age, with what he's shown so far this season, that you can count on him to be the next guy. So I think I think any um, short term approach that kind of calculates him as being the unquestionable future at point guard for them, I think, might be a mistake. So I'm not saying goes. go out and completely invest in another guy for the next five to six years. I'm just saying. There's, there's reason to be concerned, I think, about Chris Dunn's uh, potential on taking over that team. And I really, I, I, I get why you want to maximize Rubio's trade value and get something else for him if you're not in love with his game. But he's on a pretty good contract for the next few years. I just mm. don't think there's a huge rush to move a guy with his skill set. So trade Rubio straight up for Derrick Rose? <laughs> oh. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, if I was New York, I'd be trying to make that, that deal happen. I, I, I would throw in a little bit of sweetener to make that happen because, I don't know, call me biased, but I, I'm a big fan of Rubio's game, especially Same. in comparison to Rose's at this point. Same here. I mean, I love Rose. Like, when I, I was watching his game, whenever it was, and his crossover and his ability to hang in the air and go on the opposite side of the rim for that layup. I, like, 2011 Rose was just, like, a great thing to watch. It was amazing. Um, uh, Ro- Ro- vintage Rose was pretty fun to watch. It was the MVP Rose. Like, I don't remember if we, there was controversy over whether he should have won it. I think he was a runaway kind of that year. can't remember. But uh, I, I don't remember too well. I just remember him throwing down huge dunks on guys like Drogic and other guys. Yeah, Drogic, yeah. And, I mean, the, I love his cock, the cock back, the two-handed, oh, when he, like, lays out kind of, or, like, like... Puts his legs back and oh, it's great. So, what do you think about Lou Williams going to Houston? I think that move makes a lot of sense for Houston. Uh, I don't think there was any move out there that was going to substantially improve their defense to the point where they could compete defensively with the likes of like a San Antonio. But I think adding Williams makes sense in that this team is going to win so long as they are able to simply outscore and outpace their opponent. And Williams can help with that. He's had a really good season so far. Um, he's not like going to be a great defensive player, but when you have guys like Eric Gordon, Lou Williams coming off the bench, um, they just have too many shooters, too many scores at this point to go through extended stretches where they're not able to get any buckets. So, in in terms of you know just kind of going with what their formula is at this point, which is outscoring their opponents, I think uh, adding Williams certainly is a, is a nice addition. Yeah, I think uh, they they do rely on Harden too much, and they. They do the Mori ball things, but they have so much shooting now. I don't know if they've ever taken, they're never going to take another two again. All they, I mean, they have Harden shooting threes, Ryan Anderson, Gordon, now they have Lou Williams. Decker can hit some. Basically, the only person who can't shoot threes is Clint Capella um, and maybe Her- uh, Montrezl Harrell. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of amazing that they're, they they abide by that Mori, Mori ball, as it calls calls it where Harden is getting the free throw line, everybody's getting the free throw line, and you shoot threes. Hey, it's working so far, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, somebody, I think I think, I think think that Harden's had more free throws than others in entire teams or something like that, or three-pointers than entire teams. I'm um, sure that's absolutely true. Yeah. It's, but it's, to their credit, they're making it work. It's, they're making it work. Um, so, it's like, like you said, I don't think they can necessarily beat a – Beat a Warriors or a Spurs, but I think I think they can beat a Clippers team. I'm I'm always seemingly a anti DeAndre Jordan and anti Clippers guy for some reason. Um, just just in a general sense of thinking. That, I mean, so far I've been quote unquote proven right, but that doesn't mean that they're actually as um, un- overrated as they they may be. So I just I'm thinking the war- the Rockets with D'Antoni at the helm seem to have that third, be the third best team in the West. What do you think? Uh, I think the Rockets can, can beat anyone in a seven-game series just because of how much firepower they have. I mean, shutting down Harden uh, with the ball in his hands, surrounded by guys like Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson, Williams, Decker, all these guys who can, you know, Ariza, all these guys who can hit a bunch of three-pointers, and then having Capella roll down the lane for as an alley-oop threat. They, they, they're a tough team to stop. I think they can beat anyone in a seven-game series. I don't, I don't necessarily think they're going to beat certain teams, but I wouldn't be surprised if they, they landed some upsets uh, in, the, in the upcoming playoffs. Uh, the Clippers are an interesting case. 
at their best, I think they're they're one of the top teams in the in the West. And I, I think when when they're healthy and playing as well as they can be, and the same being said for the Rockets, I think they actually are a better team than the Rockets overall, more balanced. But I still think that Houston has a puncher's chance in any series against LA, um, depending on the health circumstances. But um, it just it, it depends. It really depends on on what's going on during the playoffs. I mean. We have so many questions. Guys like Lowry and Durant are going to come back um, around that time. Who knows what they're going to be. Guys like Griffin and Paul have been out, and they're still getting themselves um, kind of up to speed. So all, all, of these, all these playoff matchups are, are you know contingent on who's coming in and how they're playing at, at that point um, in the season. Yeah, I mean, I don't see any scenario where the Clippers in a seven-game series beats the Spurs or the Warriors. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that that'd be a tough series for them. I mean, they they hey, they did beat the the Spurs uh, like uh, two years ago in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that, I that guess. was that was an epic series. But Kawhi is Kawhi now. Like that was when Kawhi was a little baby. <laughs> uh, Kawhi was still pretty damn good back then. I, I don't know if he is the Kawhi he is now, but he was he was no slouch at that point. I mean, and they still had and they still had a pretty good Tim Duncan at that point too. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, but, that, I can see that. But they, but they used so much of what they had in that, in, you know, so much gas out of their tank that by the time they got to Houston, they they couldn't, they couldn't stop them at that point. Yeah, yeah, I agree. What do you think about this? Uh, the Bulls Oklahoma City trade with uh, Taj Gibson, and Doug McDermott for Cameron Payne, and also uh, Jeffrey Levine and Anthony Morrow. Uh, it kind of continues the trend of me not really understanding what the Bulls are ultimately <laughs> trying to achieve. They're like, we, do, no, we don't want to make any shots that are not at dunks. We don't want to make any of them. I, I, I'm, and it's it, like right now, it's kind of like an easy thing to do to kind of beat up on the Bulls for the moves that they've made, and and that seems to be kind of a new thing that everyone's kind of doing. But it's, I mean, it's true. I, I've been critical of them for for a long time, and part of that is not knowing, or, or just, like, what their priorities are. Like, what, what do they ultimately want? Do they want to just be a competitive team in the playoffs every year, or do they eventually want to be a championship contender, like a real contender? And I, I it's tough to tell based on the moves they make. I mean, adding, you know, you, you, you fire Tom Thibodeau and you bring in a young coach like Hoiberg, that signals that you are interested in the long term, that you think, believe this young coach can be the guy that, brings together a young team and ultimately contends for a championship a couple of years down the road. But then you you flip the next season and you after one season and you bring in guys like Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo and it's like those guys don't fit in the supposed space and pay system that Hoiberg wanted to use. So it's just like make decisions either because you're interested in your long term success and stick to it or make decisions that are gonna help you be competitive in the short term and go for it. But being in between those two things, it leads you into a situation like this where you're making moves that really don't have much, I'm not going to say logic, they just don't make much sense. And I guess that's a same, different way of saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel bad for Hoiberg. They're kind of setting him up for not, they're not for setting failure. him up for success. They're setting him up for failure. I mean, he's going to get fired soon just because they're they're bad and their expectations were that they would be okay because they have Jimmy Butler and they have the name recognition of Dwayne Wade and stuff, and they're in Chicago, and they're the Bulls, but when you don't have, I mean, Denzel, I saw they played the Suns recently, and Denzel Valentine, almost said Denzel Washington again, um, Denzel Valentine <laughs> is, like, he's pretty good, but, like, they, the Suns, like, they almost, I mean, they were winning almost the whole game, but then the Suns not playing, Tyson Chandler not playing Knight, 
and just and not without Paige Tucker, they just kind of let it go, which, as Suns Twitter would say, that's awesome, good, they were winning, they lost the game, and they win the lottery balls. I can't, I can't get on board. It just drives me crazy. But, uh, I mean, wow. it's a silver lining, but yeah. what are you going to do? Um, but, like, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Oh, my gosh. And, and we haven't even discussed the, the trade itself. Exactly. I, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not someone who. I, I'm not, I don't doubt that Cameron Payne can be a good player. I just am not in love with his game. I don't think. I don't think you have to give up Taj Gibson, Doug McDermott, and a draft pick to bring in a guy like Cameron Payne to see if he's going to be your point guard. Especially when you have uh, Grant and uh, Carter Williams already in the roster. I mean, I'm not saying those Carter guys Williams, are the answer. Like, but, but you're like you you you're, you're like. You're giving away too much just just to see if there's something potentially there. I mean, Taj Gibson's probably going to walk anyway, but why why do you have to give an additional draft pick to make that trade happen? And I mean, they got a shooter. Anthony Morrow is a shooter, and that's all he is. Yeah, and they gave, <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, he like switched up his like shooting rotation or mechanics a little bit, and hasn't been the same shooter since. So I don't know. Like I just don't I just don't get that trade. And I, I haven't heard anyone. I've talked to people about it, and no one has been able to explain it to me in a way that actually makes sense for Chicago. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's good for good for OKC. They get Taj Gibson, who's like perfect with Stephen Adams. I think there to help out really makes that team of have some veteran edge to it, and and try to basically basically they're filling pieces to let Westbrook be Westbrook. Yeah, and and I love what Taj Gibson brings. Especially, like I feel bad for the team that's going to have to play OKC in the first round or whatever it may be. Because you got guys like Adams, Cancer, and Gibson who are all going to be beating up on your big men. So yeah. I, I like I like the move for OKC. I still don't think they're going to really go deep in the playoffs, but I, I think it's a great move for them. Think that's going to be like what is it? Memphis? It's probably going to be what Memphis, Utah, or Clippers. Yeah, probably. Yeah, one of the three of those. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess that has to be because it's not going to be the, they're not falling to eight. Um, no, then no, those then one eight. The four. I mean, the Warriors and the Spurs of one two. And then they, that leaves the Clippers, Jazz, Memphis, OKC, and Houston to go for the other five, five spots. So, yeah, so it'll be one of them that's going to have to deal with that front court, and I do not envy them because those are some physical players. Although the Rockets would have the Rockets would be interesting because the Rock, uh, it'd be that's an interesting series, OKC versus the Rockets. But, yeah, uh, that's um. Oh my God, Westbrook versus Harden for seven games. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch that. I'll watch that. Yeah, definitely. Is there any other interesting ones? No, no. Well. Oh, Bogdan Bogdanovic did crazy for the Wizards. <laughs> Bojan, Bojan Bogdanovic. I don't know. It's, um, sometimes the small moves are the ones that pay off big, and, and I'm not saying that that's going to happen here, but I get it. You need a little bit more shooting off the bench, and, and that's what he brings to the table. Yeah. Well, this has been and, awesome. And now, they, and now they have their back, uh, their backup point guard in Brandon Jennings. There you go. Yeah, that was that. That was that was gonna be interesting. I wonder. I mean, yeah, it's gonna be really interesting to see how that all works out. The Wizards have been interesting because John Wall's been in the league for what is it, eight years now? Hopefully, he gets uh, out of the first second round there and gets like some a little bit deeper. Yeah, I mean, they've been playing really well. I. I'm curious to see how they do. I talked to Mo Hamilton from Basketball Insiders, a um, colleague of ours, um, and we were talking about the Wizards and how um, our predictions were so different for them entering the season. Um, I Early on, I thought I was right that they weren't going to be particularly good, and then they flipped the switch, and now it looks like Mo's right. So good for him. I congratulated him. But uh, I, I do like their team. I, I like the way they played the last uh, month or so. 
Yeah, I had a Moke on a couple of weeks ago, and then I had some technical difficulties. Shout out to Moke. I'm going to get that thing done sometime and get that out there. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, great. So, yeah, so definitely the Wizards are going to be good. I have a lot of uh, Wizards um, friends, I guess you could say, some from, from back on Fansighted, who are all Wizards guys. So uh, talking about the Wizards, and the funny thing is the Wizards are now Suns East. Um, <laughs> almost were more. I mean, they literally have... They have Gortat, they have Keefe, like, like they, they seem to, true. they almost pick up Tucker, like, they have so many, I mean, not so many, but significant, like, they basically just take, took the team and moved it west, moved it east. Somehow, somehow I hadn't even thought of that, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so this is great, Jesse, uh, go check out Jesse's stuff, why don't you plug your stuff and your Twitter handle and we'll get out of here. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I'm the deputy editor over for Basketball Insiders. You can go to basketballinsiders.com, and it's pretty easy to look up my stuff. Um, but really, you should be checking out everyone there because they, they've they been doing some great work, uh, especially recently. Mm-hmm. And you can find me on Twitter, at um, jblancarte, my last name, NBA, J-B-L-A-N-C-A-R-T-E, NBA. Well, I definitely want to give a shout-out to Basketball Insiders. I used to work there for a little bit. It was a great time working with you, Jesse. Um, I have, I've had a Jabari and Lang and Jesse and Mocha on here so far, and we're going to keep it going. I think, I mean, definitely check out Eric Pekus's, uh salary pages. Those things are gold, um, and all the work that they do there. My Twitter handle is at Eric underscore Sar, and uh, please check out the Solar Insights podcast, and I've actually done some other some writing recently. Check that out at solarinsights.net, and uh, have a good night, everybody. Thanks so much. Thanks.